Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of Howard Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on the last day of April, a time when we should have been celebrating the one-month anniversary of having left the European Union. Instead, though, we are still tied to the burgeoning bureaucracy. We are busy electing more MEPs to go to Brussels and Strasbourg, and the government is busying itself, meeting with a load of climate change squatters and demonstrators with a view to taking their advice on going back to the Stone Age. Brilliant, isn't it? I'm really enjoying it so far. 0344 499 1000, as Julie Hartley Brewer just told us, what lesson have we just taught the public? of this country? What lesson have we just taught the children of this country? We have taught them that the more that you demonstrate, the more that you break the law, the more that you cause a nuisance, the more likely you are to be listened to. Meanwhile, in the outside world, on the streets of Britain, our society becomes ever more lawless. If you're not dodging a load of protesters sitting down in the road or cycling slowly over bridges, you are more and more likely to be a victim of antisocial behaviour and the police are less and less likely to do anything about it. We have become a more violent and rude society and there are examples of it everywhere. We Look, today, Baroness Newlove, whose husband Gary was beaten to death by drunken thugs outside his own home in 2007, publishes a depressing report as the Victims Commissioner where she concludes that things are getting worse, not better. Four out of every ten people in this country will be the subject of some kind of antisocial behaviour. And it all starts at school, where more and more children are now being kicked out for drug and alcohol misuse. What on earth is going on? We'll be finding out and we'll be trying to find a solution as well. 0344 499 Coming up later on we'll also find out just why Damien Green thinks it's a good idea to rinse old people of even more of their money he wants them to cough up 30 grand to pay for their social care if they've got it if they haven't don't worry about it and should we be concerned about the re-emergence of ISIS terror chief Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi who made a video yesterday for the first time in five years uh, and made all sorts of veiled threats against the west we shall see whether people are taking that seriously. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So there are two stories today which kind of coalesce together. One is that more and more children are being excluded from school uh, because of drug and alcohol offences. More and more children at school, and I say that word very, very carefully, children at school are dealing drugs, are taking drugs, are buying drugs, and many more of them are taking alcohol, drinking alcohol, selling alcohol. What is going on in the schools of our country? Is it any surprise 
that outside of the schools, antisocial behaviour is getting worse and worse and worse. Much of it uh, from people who are school-age kids, but much of it from adults as well, presumably some of these kids' parents. I was saying to Julie Hartley Brewer just a moment ago that I've got an idea for the kids who get excluded from school. Don't try and keep reintroducing them to other schools and different schools and new classrooms. Just keep them out of the school. Don't disrupt the people who are in that school who want to learn and find something else for them to do. I'm sure that all of these bad kids can become good if they are given the right opportunities. And necessarily, it's not in education. It might be that they get taught how to do something interesting. It might be that they get taught how to paint. It might be they get taught how to play a musical instrument. It might be that they get taught how to become a carpenter or how to become a plasterer or how to become a long-distance lorry driver. They can be taught, surely, things which maybe don't involve going into an academic situation and a school classroom. Let's talk to Roger Layton, former head teacher, chief executive uh, of Partnership Learning, uh, which is an academy trust. The last time Roger and I spoke, uh, he was telling me about how he's got into various different schools and already turned them around from being underperforming to being much, much better. Roger, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us once again. I was quite impressed the last time you and I spoke about the fact that you were someone who had worked in education and who had turned certain schools around. We're talking sort of more broadly today about antisocial behaviour, but my belief is that an awful lot of it starts in sort of school-aged kids behaving badly and then just growing up and continuing to behave badly. And and I think you're absolutely right. And I think, therefore, schools, and that goes right back to primary schools, not just secondary, um, need to up their game across the country because... The truth is, I think, that the best um, defence against antisocial behaviour, drugs, alcohol, etc., is to educate kids really well. You talked a moment ago about giving them new skills, things that they're going to be motivated by, that are going to give them employment opportunities. Mm. And just their general levels of education, you get far less of this antisocial behaviour if a school is doing really well and the kids are succeeding, they're feeling good about themselves. It becomes a golden circle. I remember when I started as a head teacher back in 1996 in Dagenham, the antisocial behaviour around and about the school after hours was awful. We'd sometimes come back after a holiday and find 20 or 30 windows have been smashed. Now, there's no excuse for that behaviour. However, back then, the education system as a whole, that school as well, Mm. was awful. You could sort of understand why the local community and the kids didn't value their schools because they actually weren't doing them a a favour at all. Now, in the intervening years, certainly locally in in Barking and Dagenham with the schools that we've worked with, but also generally nationally across the country, there's been a huge improvement in overall educational standards. Far more kids are succeeding now than were back then. Still more work to do, but if you look at the example of Barking and Dagenham, certainly around our schools, yeah, you know, we never. I better touch wood, hadn't I? We never get. We never get a window <laughs> smash. Now. Well, I tell you what. Yeah, there'll be one <laughs> getting smashed get even as <laughs> even as we speak. But I don't remember. I mean, yeah. I went to school quite a long time ago, Roger. And I don't remember people getting excluded as much as the numbers I'm seeing today. Seven thousand seven hundred twenty children excluded from English mainstream schools uh, between 2016 and two thousand seventeen, the most recently recorded year. Forty exclusions a day. That's an awful lot of people. It is. We do have to be, you know, but be careful with with um, stats. I'm not sure whether that's permanent exclusions or fixed term exclusions. I, I presume it's not permanent, but it's still quite a lot, no, though, isn't so it? Fixed term, it is a lot, but you know, we also want good discipline in our schools. We need to put boundaries in place, and if someone is disrupting a class, 
stopping other people learning, then a short, sharp exclusion of one or two days can be the best thing for all concerned. And if you look at the the stats about permanent exclusions for for drugs or alcohol, again, be careful. You know, it says they've gone up by 57%. However, I've just checked what that means for last year is that on average in a pupil population of 1,000 pupils in a school, they might exclude one person for drugs and alcohol every six years. So, it, you know, it, put it in perspective, it, it's still pretty unusual. Yes, but I think I think you'd agree, Roger, yeah. though, regardless of whatever the statistics are telling us, and I think yeah. that they're telling us that, that things are going up, whether it's by a larger amount or a smaller amount, I don't think that matters yeah. too much. We've certainly got a much more lawless society out there, a much more antisocial society out there, don't you think? Um, I, I think it I think it hugely varies, and I, I would be interested to see if someone had done any, any stats on a link between rising um, educational outcomes and falling antisocial behaviour. Because anecdotally, I really believe that those two work together. If you raise educational outcomes, you reduce antisocial behaviour. As I've said, you look around the neighbourhoods of our schools, and it's not just that the school isn't being battled. I also remember huge problems of, you know, groups of kids hanging around on street corners after hours, constant issues with the local shops and the local community. Now, I'm not saying nothing ever happens but i am aware that there's been a huge reduction in that and it's because you know when i think that depends where you are as i think that depends where you are as well yeah it does depend where you are it depends on maybe the local neighborhood whether the local neighborhood is being cared for and looked after whether the council's got the funds to you know introduce you know youth clubs and the sort of things that keeps kids but don't you think that's all a bit of a shibboleth i mean you know youth club people always say oh there's no youth clubs that's why there's so many knife crimes well really you know you're gonna you're gonna knife somebody because you can't ever go to a youth club i mean that's ridiculous no i i I, yeah i agree i think it's part of a a web of things that can help though so for instance in our neighborhood in barking dad and the council have just built a brand new youth Centre. It's not even open yet, but it's a superb building, and it will help. I'm not saying it's a, you know, it's a magic wand, but it will help. Uh, but I'll come back to it again and again. It's about educational success. If kids are succeeding, they feel like they've got a space in society, they've got a future, they're much less likely to be antisocial. They mm. really are. No, I get that, and I think some people would argue with both of us here and say excluding pupils is not the way forward because when you exclude them, uh, basically a lot of the times they don't have anything else to do. They hang about um, and they don't uh, they don't get themselves involved in anything other than trouble. Now, my suggestion is, Roger, that rather than if you have somebody who is who is sort of quite often getting excluded and maybe permanently has been excluded, I don't think there's much point in trying to re-enter them into the system. Do you? Uh, depends on their age. Okay, okay. like, well, what age? Yeah. At which age? Well, uh, what, and I'm not say, saying. Say, yeah. Well, I was, Sorry, I was going to say, I'm not saying we should give up on them. What I'm saying is we should uh, take a different view and perhaps uh, train them into doing something else. And and, that, and I agree, but even that depends on age. Um, you know, so if, it, if it's an 11 year old that's been permanently excluded, then there ought to be the opportunity for them to get back into normal school. You know, with support, with guidance, and see if they can be restarted, if you like, and get back into their normal school life. But if you're, say, 14 or over, then I think there's a very strong argument for saying 
you're probably too late to pull back to a pure academic, normal school life. But let's look at alternative provisions. Mm. Um, let's look at you know maybe getting you into college early. Or there are lots of um, options out there now where where people are running um, provisions which might get you into you know car maintenance or hairdressing or you know a, a vocation. Or what about computer programming? Even I mean you know there's so much yeah, future, yeah, 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 so yeah, much future yeah, work to be yeah. done in programming. Yeah. I mean my kids are learning computer programming in their ICT course, but it's not really the kind of computer programming that's going to help them get a great job in, in uh, you know, Apple or in Google or anything like that. I think there's a lot yeah. more of that that needs to be done. Absolutely. You know, the whole digital industry yeah. scenario, I agree. Digital media, again, over in Barking Dangle, and they're just about to open a brand-new set of film studios. So right. That's going to be digital. Um, you know, so I think there are lots of new opportunities out there. And for those kids who, you know, get to that age of 14, 15, and are really sort of, come to an end on the sort of classic academic route, then I think you're absolutely right. Let's look as widely as possible and give them things that are going to motivate them and get them back on track. Mm. And what about generally speaking in society, that we do seem to have parents now, I mean I'll take, give you an example of something weird that happened to me the other day. My kids, uh, we, we happened to be um, uh, doing something which meant that they fancied going to McDonald's for, for dinner, right, about six o'clock. So mm-hmm. I took them in there, right, and uh, it was one of those new ones with all the screens and everything else. And we sat down, there was quite a lot of other families in there with kids I went up to uh, to put the stuff in the bin because that's what I do because they still uh-huh. don't. And um, a woman who worked there said to me, "It's just amazing." I said, "What are you talking about?" She said, "I've just seen what you've been doing." I said, "Well, what have I been doing?" She said, "You've been talking to your children." And I said, uh, <laughs> "How do you mean?" She said, "Well, look around. Everybody in here, nobody's talking to their kids." And they, and it was true. I looked around. All the kids were playing on some form of um, t- a tablet, or or they have these built-in McDonald's uh, screen games that they can play. And um, bizarrely, I happened to have been talking to them about the death penalty in Saudi Arabia. I don't know whether she overheard that. Um, but she said, oh, I presume you're a very learned man. And I said, well, not really. I said, I, I do a talk show. A lot of people think I'm an idiot. But, you know, um, she was absolutely gobsmacked that I was speaking to my own children. Uh, I, look, I do totally agree on that one. And we do our bit in our school. So, for instance, mobile phones are banned. All right? They're not even allowed to use them at break time. Yeah. Because we want them talking to each other. Um, during their social time. Mm. And I think getting them into those habits of talking when they're eating, you know, sorry, not when they're mouthful, yeah. but talking over a meal. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's part of that socialisation process that good schools should be involved in. You're absolutely right. We've got a huge role to play, not just on the academic side, but, but teaching those social skills. And, and let's hope that those parents of the future, you know, will be more likely to realise then that mm. it's really not a good idea to shove your kids in front of screens and then, um, you know, not communicate with them because it's so important. Totally yeah, and what agree. about, well, how do you find the parents these days? Because a lot of teachers that I speak to are very, very sort of gun-shy of dealing with a lot of parents because you'll either have the sort of helicopter parent types who are the kind of middle-class ones who think little Johnny can never do any wrong um, and they don't really want them punished. Then you've got the sort of maybe slightly, you know, less well um, funded, less well-educated uh, kids' parents who are, you know, not so interested, not so motivated, not so involved. Some of them, obviously, that, these are large generalisations I'm making here. But how do you find dealing with parents now? Mm. And I, well, I think that's changed quite a lot over this period I've been talking about as well. Again, improved in general as educational outcomes have improved. What, more involved? More involved and less likely to challenge the school. Now, this will vary, though, because if the school isn't doing a good job, 
you're much more likely to go arguing the toss over everything mm. that goes on in your child's class, aren't you? If you are really happy with what's going on, to be honest, you're less likely to be bothered. I always say, look, if you're really rich, you send your child to a boarding school, you take no notice about their education whatsoever. You just subcontract it out. And, and I think, in essence, a really good state school ought to be like that. You should just have so much faith in the school. You should be so pleased with the quality of the education that's being delivered that you shouldn't have to worry about it too much, other than, you know, support at parents' evenings, um, you know, keep an eye on the homework, etc. You shouldn't. And but then, then we talk a lot, Roger. I think the last time you and I were speaking, yeah. we were talking about the, 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 the lack of opportunity for an awful lot of teachers, um, the lack of numbers of people going into teaching because it's become yeah. such a tough job. It has, but a good school will make it a doable job. Um, and we're very clear when students come into our schools that we expect the full support of parents. We cannot waste time arguing over every punishment, for instance, which is a classic time waster. You know, if I had a pound for every time the parent has come and said, well, what happened was that my child said, hold on a minute, please, Mr. Jones, you weren't there, I wasn't there. Can we not assume we know what happened? Because mm. they come in gung-ho. But actually, there's much, much less of that. And that's partly because, actually, because educational outcomes have improved in our schools and in many other schools like us, there actually is very little poor behaviour. Therefore, there's much less to argue about. Mm. In the past, there would have been poor behaviour in the classroom. Their child may be, you know, being hit over the head with the ruler. They come up and complain, and a lot of time wasted, etc. So... I'm going to keep coming back in a very boring way. It's about improving educational standards continually. It is. Almost sorts everything out. If you can, if you can do it, yeah. Because I think I mentioned this to you before. Um, There's a place in Sussex which is called College Central, uh, where kids who have been basically referred. Um, a pupil referral unit is what it's called. Uh, people have been, uh, Kids who are permanently excluded or are likely to become permanently excluded. And they keep putting them through this revolving door. Yes, yes, they have their own campuses and yes, they have their own sites. But they keep trying to rehabilitate the kids and putting them back into the regular schools in Sussex. And my son always tells me that it's always the same. They come in, they stay for about two or three months, they get kicked out. It's, there's no point, literally. All they do is disrupt the other school. And I think there's no point in doing that. I, I agree with you. So I think... The answer to that is, as we said earlier, find a, a better, more sustainable alternative curriculum for those kids, you know, in an alternative provision or other, you know, college scenario or something. Mm. Or the school that receives such kids has to have very clear procedures for dealing with them so that they perhaps start in a separate unit on the school site until they prove that they're able to, to manage in a yeah. normal classroom. That's the other approach. Yeah, it is. I mean, the other the other thing that the other thing that I've seen just from my own experiences in primary school, uh, where my boys were before they moved on, you know, there was often kind of reward given to those who misbehaved. I.e., they'd put them in a classroom together and give them an iPad, and that would be all they do. No. Though, you know, no, 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 no. You can combine these two things. You can put them in a separate unit, but it, it's not a holiday camp. Yeah. You know, it's where you are now going to be absolutely one hundred percent well behaved. You'll have a very rigorous system of rewards and sanctions. You maybe don't go home the same time as other people unless you've proved you've worked well. Mm. That sort of thing. Um, so, no, that, 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 that's got to be very carefully proud, but can work very well.
Yeah. Well, listen, Roger, fascinating as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Roger Layton there, former head teacher, chief executive of Partnership Learning. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lots and lots of you have tweeted in at uh, Talk Radio, at IROMG. Simon says, we had nothing to do as kids. We went out and found our own entertainment. A couple of jumpers and a football, sometimes a tin can was all we had, but we made do. I used to play football with a stone sometimes, played football with a tennis ball, played tennis with a tennis ball. Uh, You know, it didn't cost an absolute fortune to go and rent one of the courts up at the local park. People can still do that. I mean, I've walked past more empty tennis courts than you've had hot dinners, I can assure you. And the idea that we must get more youth clubs to stop people from stabbing each other is an absolute nonsense. Let's talk to Andrew, uh, who's in Ely in Cambridgeshire. Hello, Andrew. Morning. Morning, Andrew. What do you want to tell us? Well, I've got to be quick. Um, On this behavioural thing, my boy went to a local primary school, lovely school, 100% attendance, done all the after-school clubs, and then he went up to the main street school. Yeah. From from day one, he had problems, and all we kept he's struggling with everything because I think the problem with it is it's the jump from right. primary to mainstream school, and the fact that the mainstream school changed everything. Right. So in like the primary schools, when they move up to a different class, they ask who are your friends, and you move up with your friends. Right. But when you go to the primary school, he got chucked in a deep end, lost all his friends. They got moved to different areas of the school and he was totally on his own yeah did he get any choice in that because I know in some schools when you move up into a new school you get to ask you get asked who which group you want to go with you know no nothing and from day one he had problems and they kept saying he had phone calls to keep coming in coming in because he he just kept wandering around the school he wouldn't go into a class and they said oh he's got behavioural problems behavioural problems and I said well He'd just come from primary school, 100% attendance. He'd, ne- he'd done after-school clubs, he'd done everything. There's something wrong with it at this school. Right. And it went on for ages and ages, and then we was told to get a attempt de- to doctors to get him diagnosed. And apparently, in the end, we managed to get him diagnosed. He was autistic. Really? So I think, I think the jump from the main- primary school to the main school and the fact that he lost all his friends and he was chucked in the deep end. Yeah. And how is he now, then? Is he still at the same school, or did you take him out? He's still at the same school, but we go to meetings after meetings. He's doing home learning, but he's struggling with that. Right. He, he's scared of life. He won't come out of his room. He won't, if we go out anywhere, he just sits in the car. He won't, right. he, he's a totally different... But the problem, the problem is, the school is the arrogance and complacency. It's too easy just to blame yeah. the parents or blame the child. Especially when the fact is he came from primary school and he had a hundred. The proof was there, so you can't just turn around. And say, oh, it must be this. I mean, I'm going to meetings after meetings. Yeah. Have you thought 14. about maybe putting him into one of the other schools, Andrew, where some of his friends are? Would that work? The friends are in that school, but the problem is. Oh, they're not in the same class. Because the place is so big, but it's just this sort of. I mean, I got told by from his main tutor because he's not there anymore that. The school the kids are not here to make friends. They're here to learn, and I think that's so shameful. That is a shame, you know, isn't it? School is about learning everything. And once, if you ask any kid, why do you go to school? You go see your friends. You don't go there and say, "Right, well, I want to sit in front of a table all day doing academic stuff." Yeah. The happy kids will learn. But I mean, it's and every time I go out on a meeting, I lose I lose money because I have to take time sure. off work. These people get paid to go to meetings. And it's just going. Re- I think the problem is they've got no budgets. Yeah. 
they can't do nothing. Well, surely they could put him into... Just, if, if all it mean, means, really, is to put him in a classroom with some other children that he already knows, surely that's easy to solve, isn't it? No, the damage is already done. Yeah. He's, he's, he's socially anxiety now because the stress of going to that school, he just cannot cope. Yeah. I would, if I were you, I'd think about taking him somewhere else, Andrew, because if that's the case, I, I would say he might have a better chance going somewhere new. But listen, thanks you for your call and, and good luck with sorting that out. Let us know, by the way, Andrew, later, um, in maybe in the, uh, next month or so, if uh, if anything changes. Let's talk to Mike, who's in Surrey. Hello, Mike. Hi, Mike. Great yeah, show. yeah. thank you very much. How are you doing? What, what do you want to tell us? Yeah, um, maybe last year I had occasion to speak to a group of youths from uh, two local schools who were terrorising younger children in the in the um, in the park? Right. They were riding their bikes around the swings and and obviously putting them in danger. Yes. Um, so w- w- we had words, and I followed up with a report to Surrey Police and to the two local schools. Right. Heard nothing from from Surrey Police. Um, didn't uh, succeed in getting any sense out of one of the schools. But I then spoke to the headmaster of the other school. Now, the incident had been reported on Facebook. There was about 40 comments on it. Um, almost all of them very supportive of my accident, my uh, actions, uh, having a word with these youths on their bikes. Mm. What was interesting, um, there was a couple of things. One was that the headmistress had dealt with it already. Right. Because one of the teachers had seen this on the Facebook group and the school had proactively investigated it. And it was quite funny because she, she called the kids in, and I said, well, how do you know the kids? Well, from the descriptions and the people making the comments, right. I worked out who the kids were. When they came in, they admitted that they'd had, had this argument, this bad behaviour, and it was something that the teachers had been trying to stop. So they had, they had done a really good job. Right. But it, it led on to a, a conversation about shoplifting. Mm. And she realised, and you probably guessed this, I, I'm a retired police officer, um, and what she was saying about shoplifting was the police don't want to know. They're not interested. Mm. And, and you're, you're, um, Julie Hartley Brewer was talking about this. Yeah, they're she was saying under 100 quid, they, they couldn't care less, right? Yeah, well, they're not, you know, they're not interested. This is all rules since I, since I was, uh, was on the streets of old London town, as it were. And quite simply, she was saying, I get the local shopkeepers complaining to me about my kids stealing from their shops. I try and do something about it, but the police aren't interested. Mm. So the police are not dealing with these kids, teenage years, doing things they shouldn't be doing. So there's no discipline. And they're not worried, are they? I mean, I see you say they were on bikes. I see these kids on bikes everywhere now, like doing wheelies up and down the road. Um, in in yeah. quite a dangerous way, and if you were a, a you know an elderly person walking down the road, they're quite yeah. intimidating, aren't they? That's right. I always try and catch them on the dash cam when I'm driving down the road. <laughs> but um, no, the the point being is that the police aren't dealing with broken windows, which your previous contributor was talking about. Bill Bratton back in the in the mid nineties was really successful in New York because his his whole actions were based around dealing with the broken windows. Hmm. Deal with these kids when they're young, teach them right from wrong, nick them for shoplifting, process them, do whatever, get the, get the parents involved, etc., yeah. etc. Et You've got to deal with it at a young age. You can't leave those kids and say, well, you can nick 100 quid's worth of that. They're going to be nicking, nicking 100 quid's worth. 
because they want to buy a hundred kilos worth of drugs. Yeah. They start buying drugs. We start in county lines and all the all these other drug problems flow from the fact that the old-fashioned police officer, uh, which died out when they brought PCSOs in, yeah. is not going out there and saying, "You're not doing out on my beat, mate." Mm. Uh, um, which is the you know I'm talking mid eighties. That was the sort of thing I, I was doing. Sure, getting to know the, you know the kids, getting amongst them, and nipping it in the bud. Well, just making them slightly the concerned about being caught, which at the moment I don't yeah. think they are. Well, of course they're not. I mean, I approached, I approached them, this was a few years ago, I talked about it on my overnight show years ago, where um, I was standing at a bus stop not far from Waterloo Station, these kids were walking around with some McDonald's, yeah. and they just chucked the, uh, the the bag on the ground, right? And I picked yeah. the bag up, and I said, put that in the bin. And yeah. they, they sort of very reluctantly did so. They were about 13 or 14, these kids. We all then got on a bus, they started calling me a paedophile. You know, yeah, well, because I was right. talking to yeah. them, and I was like, you know, I don't know what you, you, you guys' problem is, but, you know, you need to... But they couldn't have cared less, you know? Well, you know, it, the, uh, you know, we we can we can talk forever about policing. Yeah. We can talk forever about how it changed, how it changed by introducing PCSOs to try and fool all of the people some of the time, and so all of the people all of the time. They are not warranted police officers. They've got no powers of arrest. They've got no powers to detention, and they don't have the training to deal with them. On the other hand, cybercrime is, is massive. And the, the problem is, you know, you, you say, oh, well, why can't they investigate using CCTV? Mm. Massive amount of resources needed to do the sort of investigations these days. In the old days, if we went to a pub fight, you'd have 40 people uh, who were all um, having a, a what's it at the, uh, at the same time. Because yeah. you go in there and say, what happened? Right. And no, nobody would, would admit it. These days, you go to an incident and it's on Facebook. Yeah. Somebody's it's on, filming it's it. on social media. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the only reason the school dealt with that incident was it was on Facebook, and one of the teachers had seen it, and they dealt with it. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was great. I had a really good conversation with the headmistress. She was really, really motivated, but totally frustrated, lack of backup from the criminal justice system. Yeah. No, I bet. Uh, it's extraordinary how we've come this far, Mike, and, and yet we don't seem to know what to do next. I mean, that's the bit that surprises me. But thanks very much for your call, Mike and Surrey there, uh, saying that he quite bravely uh, got in amongst some of these kids because not everybody would want to do that. Not everybody can do that because not everybody has confidence to do it without thinking one of these kids is going to come back and slice me with a knife. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Matthew Wright coming up uh, from 1 o'clock. And then it's Eamon Holmes, of course, uh, joining us from 4 uh, with the Drive Time Show. We've been talking, of course, about social care. Uh, a breaking news story regarding that. Four Seasons Healthcare, which is one of Britain's biggest private care home operators, is apparently on the brink of administration after months of failed efforts to reduce its mammoth debt pile. This is an organisation uh, that it serves about 17,000 residents and patients and employs about 20,000. 20,000 staff. So uh, we'll follow that story as well uh, as to what that means for those people who are customers uh, of that particular uh, uh, healthcare section. Uh, the care home giant Four Seasons on the brink of administration. Uh, how about this from uh, um, uh, Lionheart who says, the hopeless capitulating and appeasing government are now meeting climate change loons and are paying lip service to climate plans based on the teachings and expert opinions of a 16-year-old girl. That would take 60 million ordinary citizens back to the Stone Age. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, it is absolutely ridiculous. We've been told now for the best part of the last two weeks that the earth uh, is going to basically implode and it's going to burn up and we're all going to die a horrible death if we don't reduce our carbon emissions to net zero by 2025. We're going to speak now though to Greg Smy Rumsby, space expert from astronomynow.com, who's got a far more pressing problem uh, and an asteroid coming towards earth which might do an awful lot more damage than climate change. Greg, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I am, of course, being slightly tongue-in-cheek when I say that we could all be wiped out by this asteroid because it's not actually going to collide with us, is it? No. Um, there are no asteroids on a collision course with the Earth for several thousand years. Good. Excellent. Well, that's very These good news. These are the news. big ones. But, but I have to stress, we're constantly being hit by small pieces of space debris, mm. natural debris. Right. In fact, the Earth sweeps up about 60,000 tonnes of this stuff every single year. So it's not surprising that we have shooting stars, but it's just the bigger shooting stars we don't want to hit the Earth. No, quite. I'm always quite surprised, actually, in a way, that you don't walk out and see that your car's been hit by some piece of falling debris from space, whether it be a tiny little piece of rock, because it's coming a long way, and presumably it would well, do actually, a bit of damage. That did happen. That happened to a young lady who had only just passed her test in America, and she uh-huh. bought a second-hand car, and this large lump of rock struck the back end of the car, and ended up in her boot, I believe. She kept the piece of rock and really? sold the car on for much, much more money <laughs> than she originally bought it. Right. And how big was the piece of rock? It was about the size, I don't know, about I don't know, 100, 100 mils, right. you know, four inches, eight okay. inches, something like that. It wasn't very big. Right. But, I mean, if it's coming from very, very high up, which it was, presumably, um, it, could, uh, it would hurt if it hit you on the head. Yeah, it would kill you, actually, to be honest with you, because it... even with aero braking, with the Earth's atmosphere, frictional slowing, uh, it, it only gets down to several hundred kilometres an hour, so it's going to hit it hits you pretty fast, actually, yeah. Right. Now, NASA's administrator, a guy by the name of Jim Bridenstine, I don't know if you know him, uh, he's apparently he's calling for some kind of, um, you know, proper investigation and some kind of, sort of um, uh, global study to be set up, uh, because he's worried that there will at some point be a major asteroid collision with Earth. 
Well, the, the number crunching can go on for as long as you like. Uh, yes, the Earth is going to get hit by something large. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. But we haven't as yet anything in our sights that is headed our way. Mm. But it would be completely irresponsible. It's, it's better to be prudent, isn't it? So, yes, NASA are taking a slightly different angle on this. Uh, they're employing several bright people to work out ways in which we could steer to safety mm. uh, a wayward asteroid on a collision course with the Earth in the future. They've even asked Elon Musk with his wonderful SpaceX yeah. operation, as it were, to, to, to put into place methods of steering these asteroids to safety. I can imagine he would build, construct some kind of super space asteroid net, wouldn't he, just to, to put over the Earth? Yeah, not really. I think the best way is just to simply give them a little nudge in right. some way that would just make them miss the Earth and, hey, presto, sure. we're all safe. But, of course, if you took the view, Greg, that some of these climate extinction rebellion people took, you would now currently be occupying uh, Westminster Bridge. You'd be demanding talks with the government. You'd be saying, you know, this is a crisis and we need to sort it out sooner rather than later. Yes, I, I, I think we, we need to be circumspect about this. We need to just step back a little bit. Yet the Earth is constantly being hit by, hit by space debris. It's not quite, at the moment, it's not quite in the same ballpark as the uh, problems we have with global warming, etc., plastics, etc. We, we, we can do something about that. We really can right now. We mm. can sort that out right now. What we can't easily sort out is dealing with things of different density, different mass, different velocities. That they will all need to be treated in different ways. Mm. So, so yes, we, we need to take a, a sort of a space guard attitude to space debris hitting the Earth. Okay. And since we have you on on a reasonably regular basis, Greg, I always ask you what yep. the kind of uh, the space atmosphere is at the moment. What's going on? You know, what's happening up there? We know that the Chinese have been sort of exploring the moon a little bit. We know that uh, Elon Musk is is getting involved. Jeff Bezos as well. What's uh, what's the kind of the next three months looking like up there? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's extraordinarily exciting. Uh, the, the, the lovely telescope designed to study gravitational waves, a very, very rare and very, very difficult task to do, has now been upgraded and it's discovering gravitational shock waves from the collision of black holes or neutron stars mm. or a combination of both. Uh, more than once a week now. So, wow. so we're beginning to use it as a tool. And we might even find out more, much more about the beginning of the universe because of it. Oh, yes. Uh, the other thing that's happening is we've, we're, we're studying asteroids at the moment. There's Bennu, which will hit the Earth in the future. Right. But, but it's a long way in the future. Where, is it, where is it currently? Sort of, How far away? Well, it's out there in space at a safe, at a safe distance. <laughs> uh, but understanding it better. And it's like a shaly beach. It's just stuck together with very weak gravity. Mm. Um, yeah. So we're studying that, and, and there's lots of other things in the pipeline. I think the most worrying thing at the moment is the fact that uh, Elon Musk did a, a test on his new space rocket for sending humans into space, yeah. and on the final test, the thing actually disrupted quite badly as it exploded. Oh, dear. Uh, not good if you've got astronauts on board. Well, so no. that needs to be rectified before they start. So back to the... Well, I mean, I'm told his latest idea is to is to come up with a leaf blower that doesn't make any noise. So maybe maybe he's moving away from uh, space exploration for a little while. Yes, but leaf blowers drive me absolutely I know. I'm, so, I'm sure I'm not alone. No, no, not at all. <laughs> You'd love to get one that's... Pro I'm, I don't even know what they're for, to be honest. I mean, if you want to get rid of some leaves, <laughs> you should really just sweep them up, put them in a bag, and they go away and burn them somewhere, shouldn't you? Well, yeah, but they're going to fall off the trees again, aren't they? It's just I, I just find it very, very difficult. Yeah, but the idea you know, of sleeping just... away, sleeping away. Yeah, but just the idea they're of blowing slippery, them. Though. They are slippery yeah, when but... it's wet. Yeah, of course <laughs> they are. But the idea of just blowing them next door or blowing them somewhere else is madness because they're going to blow back, aren't they? 
Uh, Mike, I don't know how we got from asteroids to leaves. This I is have the kind no of show, idea how that conversation This is the kind of show we do, Greg. You know, we cover all <laughs> bases. Now, what can I... Well, I'm going to ask you one final question. How impressed were you with that great photograph of the black hole, the first one that we've ever seen? That was absolutely outstanding. Wasn't it, It just, just blew me away. Seriously, 55 million light years away. Yeah. This is a tiny, tiny little thing. You can't believe black holes are, are immeasurably small. Mm. Their influence equally is not that big. Right. You know, we're talking about only several times the size of the solar system, which on a galactic scale is nothing. Yeah. And and we're able to get a photograph of the of the accretion disk around it. It it blew me away. To it be did honest. me it too. But you know what really annoyed me was all these idiots on social media saying, "Oh, you think they would have got it in better focus if they'd managed to get that picture?" You know, I mean, this is the world we live in, Greg. You know, nobody's yeah. ever. Sat well, we, we, we've got the chaps going to the North Pole to yeah. see the ice wall at the edge of the flat Earth. And what annoys me most about the flat Earthers is they're using Mercator's maps, Phillips maps, the people who used three-dimensional spherical geometry to create the Earth that we know today. Right. And they're using those maps and then distorting them in Photoshop. I want to know how they map the flat Earth what tools are they using? It just gets me angry. I'm I know. Afraid. I can tell, Greg. Well, we'll have to get you back on about the flat Earth and leaf blowers as well. Greg Smyre Rumsby, thank you very much indeed. Space expert from astronomynow.com. Fabulous man. Fabulous subject, right? And don't worry about climate change because we're all going to die when we get hit by an asteroid at some point down the road. It's a crisis. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Now, for those of you who were led to believe uh, that this weekend, which is a bank holiday weekend, is going to be great, lovely and warm, Spanish plume-type weather, it's not happening, apparently. The Met Office have said, nope, nope, there's not going to be any particularly warm weather. In fact, there might be some snow, apparently, this weekend. It's not going to be hot at all. Well, how'd they get that so wrong, for heaven's sake? That's not very good, is it? Uh, 03444991000 is the number. We're going to talk now to Graham Payton, Transport Correspondent for The Times, because you would probably be astonished to discover just how many bags get lost every single year by airlines as you go through various different airports. Apparently, though, uh, they're getting better at tracking them. Only 25 million last year went missing. It's an extraordinary number. Graham, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Uh, hello, Mike. It is rather a lot of bags, that, isn't it? 25 million. I mean, mm. uh, imagine what would happen if you put them all into one big pile. I mean, I don't know how high it would go, but probably pretty oh, high. I don't know, but Heathrow's probably had a go. Um, yeah, they probably have, yeah. I mean, I was saying, actually, earlier on today, I remember a time when, you might remember this a few years back, there was some bad fog at Heathrow, and they decided the best way to clear the runway was to set a fire with all of the lost bags that they had <laughs> sitting there because they hadn't been claimed, and they actually set fire to all of the suitcases on the runway, and it cleared the snow. <laughs> not heard that one before well there you go so uh, why have they suddenly got better and, and, 20, and well, where, where have all these 25 million bags gone would be the question well I, I mean to be fair I mean lost is probably the same it's the same as delayed so most of them will eventually get to their destinations um, I, I mean to start with the, the, the first section yeah I mean you know the figures seem to show that there has been a decrease over the last sort of decade from about 47 million um, in the late 2000s. So right. now it's gone down to 24.8 million, mm. lost in 2018. Um, uh, I mean, you know, obviously that's still a lot, but when you consider that the 
people who the total number of people who fly something like 4.4 billion uh, in 2018 it's a very small proportion yeah um and uh, i mean i suppose in terms of how this has happened i mean the airlines and airports do seem to be much better at tracking bags through the airport than they used to mm. i mean there's a new onus been put on airlines in the last year to sort of track bags at four points through their departure through the airport and then onto the carousel um previously they just you know once they went it was almost like keep your fingers crossed yes. once it went through the little um the little curtains if you like at the end of the check-in desk that it would get to its final destination mm. now it has to be electronically logged onto the plane it has to be logged off the plane and it has to be logged when it goes onto the onto the carousel yeah. so so basically with all those pickup points you're more likely to catch a lost bag quicker if you like and track it down yes and the conveyor belt systems now behind the scenes at airports are mm. pretty um revolutionary aren't they and they're very sort of intricate i suppose you might say uh yes yeah absolutely and and you know there has been like i say a specific onus put on them by the international air transport association which is the sort of representative body for airlines to to up the game as far as tracking goes but, but you know some airlines have gone even further than that i mean some have actually started to fit radio tags on oh really onto uh well sort of a uh, radio um uh, transmitting device mm. into tags that are stuck onto bags and they can actually follow them in real time so right. if they go missing they can find them quite quickly and return them to their owners which... and how does that technology work are they are they kind of uh, registered to a particular bag then or is it just yeah, literally so a locator as far as I understand it, Delta Airlines in the States became the first to do this in 2016. So right. uh, what, what it is, is it's effectively almost like a barcode scanner. Okay. So they will they will put the tag on your bag, they will scan it, and then off it will go on its merry way. Mm. If there is any concern that that bag's been lost or something, you can literally look on a sort of GPS-style tracker and see where okay. it's got to and, and, and pick it up quite quickly. So basically the International Air Transport Association, which again is that representative body, they have actually said that they want that sort of technology to be introduced by all airlines, mm. and uh, and they're looking at sort of doing that, but talking about that perhaps this summer, in the next few years, airlines to introduce it. So that will go a, a much bigger way to actually getting into that 25 million figure, which is still a lot of bags. Yeah, sure. And because I mean, one of the things I suppose that we now all know is that you're not supposed to be able to get a bag onto a plane if the person is not on the plane as a passenger, and mm. and and presumably vice versa. So I mean, if they are going missing bags, is it because they, they're not getting on the plane or they're getting on the plane and then they're getting lost at the other end? Well, actually, the biggest the biggest problem with mishandled bags is actually when you connect through an airport from, right. one, from, from, on one, on, from one flight onto another. Yes. And Heathrow, for example, is, is, the Heathrow, is the country's biggest hub airport, whereas a lot of people who fly, mm. for example, from the States, they, they travel through Heathrow and then they fly on to somewhere like the Far East, right. etc. So that's where most bags go missing. I say most, about half of all bags go missing during that transfer process. Right. So it seems that once one airline, if you like, has rescinded its, uh, its control over a bag, you know, the other airline isn't necessarily the best at picking it up and make sure it finds its way through. Yeah. Must admit, that's always terrified me whenever I've transferred through an airport. You know, I don't know how on earth they're going to get my bag <laughs> um, from one plane to the other. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's the big issue. But, you know, aside from that, it's quite often people, for example, which isn't the airline's fault, it's people picking up the wrong bag from the yeah. carousel. I mean, it happened sort of happened to my parents last summer where some, they went on holiday to, to Greece and somebody just simply picked up their bag and, and cleared off with it yeah. without looking at whether it's a and I suppose with with lots of new bags being sold you know quite a lot of bags look similar a lot of them do quite... I mean I had a problem like that with um uh, with a golf set of golf clubs funny enough I was going on some golfing trip down the south of Spain 
and came off the plane, picked up what I thought was my golf bag, stuck it in the back of the, the, the minibus that everyone was getting in, got to the hotel about an hour away, and then realised it wasn't my, actually mine. And I had to, had to go all the way back and exchange it for the poor guy who whose bag I had taken, who was standing yeah. around not very happy, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. But we had the imagine. identical. I, mean, I made the mistake of buying one of those covers for it, which was mm. from a well-known supermarket, which clearly is something that a lot of people did. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, a lot of people now are encouraged to, to label their bags properly, to yes. lock them up and label them. Because, you know, another thing that, you know, just what doesn't go into is theft from bags. I mean, there's still a big issue with sort of uh, with some baggage handlers, perhaps with sticky fingers, who who might still rifle through your bags, uh, not want to uh, libel any, any, any baggage handlers out there. But there is still an issue with oh, that. I know people who got things stolen from their bags at Heathrow because now we're told, of course, we can't lock them. Because if you lock your bag now, you're told that somebody, in, particularly if you're flying to America, they might break it open to look inside it. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yes, it's, uh, it's still a big issue. Yeah, it really is. And what about the uh, the bags that don't ever get collected? Because it always fascinates me that when they did burn all those bags at Heathrow, these were all bags that basically had been sitting there for years that nobody had ever claimed. And so you wonder what sort of person doesn't claim a bag that eventually gets lost. Well, it it, it always it always surprises me. You you do actually get that. You can actually look look it up online. There is a thing where um, uncollected bags are actually sailed. They go through an auction process. Actually, yeah, yes, I remember this story. Yeah. They'll, 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 they'll open them and, and sell the contents. Mm. I mean, it, I find it completely baffling that anyone would, would basically just give up any yeah. attempt to try and reclaim their bags. But, yeah, that, that's, that's how they currently do it. And, you know, and it always surprises me the number of people that, that will are happy. To, well, they're probably not happy, but um, they, they suddenly stop looking for them and they're yeah. sold in that way. It is amazing. And presumably, just finally, Graham, if an airline has lost your bag and they can't find it, are they duty-bound to compensate you in some way? Yeah, the Civil Aviation Authority um, actually have um, they have an own they, they they put an onus on uh, on airlines to reimburse people for reasonable damage. So basically, the maximum amount that that they will reimburse you is about a thousand pounds. Although they do admit that it's very rare that people actually receive that much, and also you've got to try and prove how much the value of your belongings right. was, which might be difficult when you just chuck a load of things into a suitcase and, and off you go without thinking about it mm. too much. Also, there's an issue if you do transfer between um, between two airlines... Oh, like whose fault it is, yeah. ...about whose fault it is, and that, that's a particularly difficult one to I prove. I bet, yeah. Well, as ever, Graham, uh, things that we talk about on the show always turn, turn out to be far more fascinating than you think. Graham Payton there, transport correspondent for The Times, uh, on lost baggage and the fact that there's now something like 47 million, I think, uh, lost about... For, sorry, 47% down uh, to 25 million bags lost every single year uh, as they fly around the world. Incredible, isn't it? Imagine that many bags and all in one place. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.